Tuesday, March 13th, and this is a Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Stock Advisor Jason Moser, from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager. Gentlemen, good to see you. What is Intel doing? <laughs> Joe, we kind of. John, I've already worked up. You haven't even asked the question yet, Chris. <laughs> I need to relax. Let me finish the intro. Uh, we're going to talk about fracking, we're going to talk about tablet computers, but as Joe just telegraphed, we're going to start with Intel. Uh, Wall Street Journal today reporting that Intel has held preliminary talks with entertainment companies recently about creating a service for accessing television shows over the internet. Joe, it sounds like you're you're all for this idea. You think <laughs> I, I'm reading between the lines? It sounds like what you're saying is this makes perfect sense for Intel. They're a big tech company. They've got the cash. This makes total sense. Am I right? This is almost as smart. A masterstroke as when Coca-Cola acquired Columbia Pictures. <laughs> it was an obvious strategic fit with their long-term plans sure. and with their abilities. Beverages, movies, yeah. Look, I mean, there I'm... are a lot of people who are going to make a lot of money distributing content, and there are already a lot of companies that do that. One of them is Comcast. Another is Netflix. And you know whether or not it makes money is a little more debatable. <laughs> but it's in the game, and it's working through there, and it will be for a long time. Intel has zero experience with content. It doesn't have any experience or relationships on distribution of software or content. And it is so far removed from being able to compete effectively in this space. Now, reality check, I realize they're not like shutting down the rest of the business. I was going to say, they're, they're going to keep making the chips. But it's a totally silly distraction. And they have no edges here where they have companies, not only ones who are existing and kicking butt at what they do, but when you've got guys like Apple and Google who are like trying to work their way in and you're behind those guys, what what are you doing? Jason, what do you think? Well I see the I see the reason why they want to do that. I mean there's there's a you know, around forty one billion dollars or so projected to be uh spent in fees here by the T V providers to cable channels this year. So it's it's a big pie that they're trying to get a piece of. But yeah, I mean I, I gotta agree with Joe there. This, they this is well outside their circle of competence. And I mean, the one thing, when I first read this article, the first thing that came to my mind was when Cisco was trying to make its foray into consumer electronics with the flip cam. Yep. And we kind of know how that turned out. It wasn't yeah. so good. Yeah. <laughs> wasn't so good. Uh, I, I don't know that I would be putting a whole lot of money on, on Intel to be able to pull this off. Either. I mean, it's... You know, there are plenty of hurdles. I mean, not to mention bandwidth and just the rising content costs. I, I don't know how they pull this off, but... You know, yeah, this is a, a micro. It's a microcosm of why I don't like the stock. I know a lot of value guys really like Intel, but I don't for a few reasons, and this really nails it. And it's basically that they are having such a tough time transitioning from the PC world to a post PC one, where mobile is taking over, and they have a lot of competition in that space. They don't have any real edges. They're behind the curve, and they got all this cash, and they're throwing it at bad acquisitions or chasing growth. So they paid a sixty percent premium for McAfee a couple years ago brutally bad acquisition that wasn't in their core wheelhouse either. Now they're trying, you know, little experiments like this. And again, I realize it's an experiment. And as a Google shareholder, I know that that's a company that is producing driverless cars. So I'm not unaware of, you know, I'm being a little hypocritical here, but uh, it's a terrible move. So if you're Intel, though, and you're watching these other tech companies go into this space. And Jason, you talked about sort of the market opportunity. Let's be clear. There is a massive opportunity here. We've talked There's before. a huge beverage market, too. <laughs> but I think Coca-Cola and Pepsi have it pretty well locked. But, but we've talked about the battle for the living room. And as televisions and PCs and tablets all morph into one gigantic device <laughs> that 100 years from now will no doubt take over the world, um, if you're Intel, and if you want to play in that space... <clears throat> 
I think you probably have a pretty good starter for your conversation with entertainment companies because you can go to the the broadcast networks and basically say, hey, look, um, uh, go back in time 10 years. Do you see what Apple did to the music industry? Well, that's what they're going to do to the television industry if you play ball with them. You play ball with us, we're going to cut a much better deal. Yeah, they're the guys that, you know, they're powering the technology. They're the ones who are going to be able to kind of play the good cop, bad cop off of Apple and Google. And I do see your point there. You know, whether the whether that's going to be a story that's bought, I don't even know that it's something that, that consumers would really – because there's the adapt, there, we have to see consumers adapt to it, so they have to adopt that. And that's a whole nother, a whole nother ball ballgame. So even if it makes sense, I mean, when we have a situation where, you know, the devices are already in people's hands and the platforms that we use are already so ingrained in our daily routines, I mean, to, to really – you know, introduce something so new into the, into the game. There, I think, is another hurdle that they're going to have to they're going to have to come over. Yeah, I would sooner believe that a branded consumer presence could make a run at a distribution. So, a Samsung, for example, instead of these guys. So, in terms of the battle for the living room, we've obviously talked about a lot of companies so far: Apple, Google, Intel. Um, Joe, you mentioned Comcast. Um, there's always the possibility of other players getting into this because, again, it's a huge opportunity. When you guys look at this battle shaping up, who are sort of the main players? Who are the, the, the top three horses in this race? And what's a dark horse that investors should keep an eye on? Jason? Well, I think the top name I want to um, the top name in my mind is Apple. I mean, that to me is the one that's looking on. They're looking to figure out how to really bring everything to, to every consumer in their living room. And so their devices, I think, are superior. And so over the long haul, I think that Apple's the, the company really to keep an eye out uh, on. Google certainly is is keeping its its uh, name in the hat as well there. As far as a uh, show, wow, you know, I mean, maybe Microsoft with their Xbox platform, something along those lines. Yeah. But a dark horse I, that I don't think anyone really ever even thinks about, and it, it's more associated with Apple than anything else here, is Nuance communi- uh, Communications. And Nuance, we know, is the voice recognition technology, yep. the software that is understood to be at least somewhat involved with Siri and Apple. But, you know, just going back a couple of quarters to a recent call where Nuance CEO Paul Ricci was on the call and and making the point that the the area of consumer electronics, and particularly entertainment, uh, was where they were really focusing on and figuring out how that mobile experience is being brought into consumers' living room. And that's a point of focus where Nuance is is really going to 2012 and focusing on, I think that's a dark horse. No one really thinks about them, but but it's an interesting idea. Joe, what do you think? I'm going to go with a dark horse that is the status quo actually holds. Uh, We are all so sure that Apple is going to take over the living room and become this Skynet-like force (laughs) in front of my couch. But Dish Network, DirecTV, Comcast, Verizon Communications have deeply entrenched relationships with millions of customers who, by and large, are just happy enough with their services. And they keep shelling out money for it. I think those models are going to evolve over time. But, you know, these guys aren't total hacks either. I mean, they've established these relationships, and they're hanging on to them. And I think it's going to be a lot more difficult for them to lose the seat that they're in than we're all expecting, especially, apparently, Intel. Yeah, just to that point, uh, I'm one of those people who complains about and has fought with Comcast, yet continues to send them money (laughs) every month. And just, you know, I'm one of those people who... Whoever's going to make it really easy for me, that's who's going to get my business. You need to get Fios, Chris. <sighs> you know what? <laughs> oh, did I hit it? You know what? Strike again, a nerve. <laughs> again, 
if the good people at Verizon would bring Fios to I'm Old so Town sorry. Alexandria, I would be the first to sign up. It's an excellent service. Please, it's an excellent for the service. love of God, Verizon. Uh, let's just close up on the stock. Joe, you already touched on this. Um, Intel shares at a four-year high. Buy, sell, or hold? Sounds like you're, you're going nowhere near them. Yeah, I don't like the long-term trajectory here. I also don't like that... You know, it's a cyclical stock, and I think margins are way above historical trends. I think you're going to see them come back down, and that investors who think they're buying a cheap stock today are going to actually find that it's a little bit more of a value trap than they expect. Jason? It's a cyclical stock. It's been on a tear the last three years, and they're stepping, I think, well outside of their circle of competence here. I'd be a seller. There's been a lot of debate uh, about the environmental impact of fracking. A uh, story in the Wall Street Journal today, and I will just uh, quote directly from the first two paragraphs. Uh, Some energy companies, state regulators, academics, and environmentalists are reaching consensus that natural gas drilling has led to several incidents of water pollution, but not because of fracking. The energy officials and some environmentalists agree that poorly built wells are to blame for some cases of water contamination. In those cases, they say wells weren't properly sealed with subterranean cement, which allowed contaminants to travel up the well bore from deep underground into shallow aquifers that provide drinking water. Um, Jason, I'll start with you, because we've certainly talked a lot about uh, uh, oil and gas companies, and about fracking. Um, what do you make of this story? Because this this seems to be like um, it's um, uh, definitely a win for companies like Halliburton that engage in a lot of fracking. I mean, the, just just the notion that some consensus from several different quarters, um, from business, from academia, et cetera, are coming together, that seems like a win for a company like that. I'd be lying if I said when I read this story that I didn't smile just a little bit. I was very happy to see this. I think uh, to me, wow, what do you say? I mean, fracking to me is like one of the, it's just another way for us to really get at a, a, you know, a vast natural resource we have in natural gas. And so to see that they've at least been able to pinpoint the issue here in that it's, you know, poorly sealed wells and not just fracking in general, I think this is a big win for the natural gas industry and the companies that are fracking for it. Joe, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. This has been a building consensus for a while. And Russell Gold, who wrote this article, I've followed his work for a long time at the WSJ. He's a great, super knowledgeable energy writer. So the fact that he's coming out there and you know putting this out in a big way in an established publication like WSJ does mean something. That there is you know some uh, some momentum behind this line of thinking. As a natural gas investor, I'm a fan. Uh, particularly because I own or recommended stocks that produce a lot of natural gas, courtesy of fracking, uh, hydraulic fracturing, horizontal drilling, as it's called. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty happy to see that. It's nice that we can kind of seemingly start working our way towards a consensus here and remove some uncertainty, which you know isn't good for the companies that are actually trying to pull it out of the ground and isn't really productive. So who are some of the winners uh, in this space? And to the extent that there are losers um, from this, because I, I don't want to say that fracking automatically has a clean bill of health, right. but this certainly seems like a, a very positive step for for the procedure, for companies that are using it. Um, but as with anything in business, there's got to be someone on the losing side. Who are some of the winners and 
some of the losers. Right, yes. I mean, some of the, the big winners here. I mean, Halliburton's the largest uh, provider of fracking services in the world. They're a big winner. Schlumberger is another uh, big winner there. Even small companies, we've discussed Carbo Ceramics before, which is a company that provides the propens for these frackers. They're a big winner because the more fracking that's done, uh, the more their services are called on. And, and as we had talked about before the taping here, uh, you know, coal, for example, which is is not exactly uh, the cleanest technology out there, and it's not exactly. You know, it's going to be flat, I think, here for the foreseeable future of North America, anyway. But uh, you know, if there if there is reasonable way to get to to all that natural gas out there, then it can certainly be seen as a viable and cleaner substitute to something like coal. So you know, that would be a loser. Joe. Yeah, the momentum shift here is a win for uh, Chesapeake Energy or Range Resources, two natural gas drillers that are heavily reliant on horizontal drilling for their production. If somehow the political tides went the other way and there was some sort of moratorium, a broad-based federal one on fracking, that'd be catastrophic for all these guys. And I think terrible for the U.S. economy because electricity prices would just skyrocket overnight. Um you know, I agree completely that big coal is the big loser here. Uh, the longer, you know, these techniques are allowing us to access more natural gas and do it at a lower price. And because natural gas is a, a rival to coal in terms of baseload power production for our future, and it's a lot cleaner, you know, if it's cheaper and cleaner and we've got all these, you know, decrepit coal plants out there just waiting to be replaced, the longer gas stays low, the more dangerous it is to coal. Research firm IDC today released its data uh, on tablet shipments for the fourth quarter of 2011. Apple has nearly 55% of the market, which is down from 61.5% in the previous quarter. Uh, And I'm quoting from IDC, with the decline due in large part to the relatively strong debut for Amazon's Kindle Fire tablet, which garnered 16.8% of the market. Joe, uh, as we were talking about earlier, that's, that's a nice debut for the sure. Kindle Fire tablet. You're kind of bearish on it, though. Why? I am a little bearish. I read a great, well, two reasons. One, I read a great blog post over the weekend by First Adopter, uh, who you can find if you Google around out there. He's an independent blogger, where he did a lot of different channel checks and competitive research on uh, return profiles and how it seems as though Amazon is basically going to be dealing with a lot of Kindle Fires coming back in their mailbox and that sales are falling off at a pretty bad clip. And part of the reason for that is a lot of people just don't like the Kindle Fire. I think a lot of it is the original Kindle was framed as an e-reader, and people have very limited expectations when you're just talking about an e-reader. But the Kindle Fire was framed as an alternative to the iPad. And when you start you know, saying, you know, if I'm Chevy and I'm putting my car out there as a rival to BMW, well, that's the class people are going to be comparing it to. And that's what they did here. And, you know, most of the people I know who have Kindle Fires, they'll obviously say it's not the same thing as an iPad, but I've got some friends, including a couple here, who are very unhappy with theirs. They've either returned them or they just, you know, to them it's basically a hot paperweight uh, that runs out, of, <laughs> runs out of energy pretty quickly. Jason, you have a Kindle Fire tablet in your home. Yeah, we have a Kindle Fire and we have a Nook. I'm that guy. You're that guy. With the Nook. And uh, we have an iPad and an iPad on the way. I mean, I, I you know, I, I think there is a lot to be said for the expectations that were framed here. I mean, I, if it's something that is looked at as a as a substitute to an iPad, then we've got a big problem because it's nowhere close. It's not the same thing. It's smaller. It's not as functional. It's, you know, to me, a very good device for consumption. The problem is that, you know, Joe made a good point there and that the initial Kindles are just a very – 
minimal device that's just an e-reader. And so then you go from a Kindle to then it's something like an iPad, which is a fully functional tablet. Mm -hmm. The Kindle Fire just kind of falls right there in the middle. And I don't know how much real market there is for that middle ground there. I mean, either you want an e-reader or you want a tablet. And that Kindle Fire kind of falls in that twilight zone there. So, I mean, we've we've enjoyed the Kindle Fire. It was a Christmas present that Santa brought my daughter. She's enjoyed it. It's been a wonderful device. But if you're looking for an iPad, you're going to go get an iPad. A Kindle, a Kindle Fire is not the same thing. So how much – let's say for the sake of argument that – And Will, are you? <laughs> that Amazon comes out and, uh, you know, in the next couple of months and says, yeah, actually we had a, a boatload of returns on the Kindle Fire tablet. Um, how much time do they have to fix this problem? Because I don't think – they're going to just say, well, that didn't work. We're, we're just going to go back to just straight-up e-readers. Um, what do they have to do, and how much time do they have to do it? Well, the damage has already been done. The fourth quarter selling season was huge for them. And, you know, at this point, the cat's out of the bag. And unfortunately, they're not – because they're not a hardware company and they don't have the expertise in product development like an Apple does or even, you know, a Motorola, they're not going to be able to refresh the cycle as quickly as I think, you know, you could see an Apple do. So the lag between Kindle Fire and Kindle you know, Fire 2.0 is probably going to be pretty big. And I do expect you'll see some pretty major upgrades. You've also got to wonder, you know, did they go to market too soon with this? It sure sounds like it. It sounds like there's so many little buggy issues with it. Should they have partnered more with Google on this? So what they did with their operating system was they basically wrote on top of Google Android and reworked the whole thing. And it's this experience. You wouldn't even know that Kindle Fire actually runs on Android, but it does. And you can't help but think, you know, maybe if they just tried to be buddies here instead of uh, doing their own thing, you know, you could say maybe it's a little bit arrogant. You would know it runs on Android if you listen to Market Foolery. <laughs> you sure would. Exactly. Well, and that's one of the one of the other points of uh – uh, data in the IDC report is just when you look at the the market share, the increasing market share that Android has. I mean, I mean, just pivoting for a moment to Google, and obviously it's a company you know really well, Joe. At some point, is does that become a spinoff candidate? Does Android become its own entity where they just the the way to unlock value for Google to the greatest extent possible is just to spin off Android? Well, you know, Barnes & Noble is thinking about spinning off the Nook unit, and that's kind of a similar concept. Now, why do you say that? Just because their new they, CFO is, say, is a spinoff but expert? But they didn't hire him for that, though, Chris. Yeah, I mean, did sure. you read the article? <laughs> Sorry, I, I shouldn't read too much into that. Um, actually, I would say no here, and I think the big strategic value with Android is the ability to serve up ads and get better intelligence on people to serve them more targeted, relevant ads. And because Google... The more information touch points Google has on you and your whereabouts, your search habits, what you like to watch, the better they can do that. So even though I definitely could see the value of Android as a standalone business and working on its own, I think the most value they can wring out of it is keeping it in-house. Uh, just all this talk about Amazon and Barnes & Noble. You got a book recommendation for our listeners, Jason? I am in the middle of reading FDR biography about the man himself. Very good book. I enjoy reading about U.S. presidents, and this is a really good one. So FDR is my recommendation. Joe? I'm rereading The Hobbit right now. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a because you're 12, story. Because you're 12 years old? About dwarves and elves. Uh, <laughs> no, I'll pick something more mature. Uh, I read World War Z recently, which is about the zombie apocalypse. 
Oh, it just gets better um, and better. No, actually, here's a really good one. So, uh, <laughs> Stephen King, I'm a big Stephen King Third fan. Third probably a shocker, too. Uh, his book, Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three, is the premise is someone goes back in time and trying to prevent the Kennedy assassination. Uh-huh. It is a phenomenal book. It is an amazing book. Highly recommend it. All right. Joe Mager, Jason Moser. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, I'm, I'm just glad you weren't I do like, not apologize for my hobbit love. Here's, here's, uh, I'm reading a comic book right now. I'm reading <laughs> X-Men 43. <laughs>